Acts chapter 9 is our text today. We'll be looking through the book of Acts again as we continue our study on what happened after Jesus rose from the dead in Jerusalem and the church was off and running. Acts chapter 9 for most of our text today. <coughs> when I was working on my Uncle Ed's farm, I got to milk a lot of cows. And that's when you get up close and personal with a cow. Uh, the cows were tied in stanchions, and you went in between the cows and sat on a stool that I had strapped to my waist. And usually you push the cow over to get the milk pail set on the floor, and you put the cups on the cow, sucked all the milk out. And uh, many of the cows just sat still and cooperated with you, but not all of them. And if you did something they didn't like, or sometimes just the cow is just bad-tempered, like people, same way, you know, you might get kicked. The worst cow kick we had ever happened in our barn was to a farm hand named Roly. He was a little short, round fella. Someone once said many years ago, he looks like a roly-poly. And for the rest of his life, they called him Roly. His real name was Kenneth Bounds. And he asked me once to go to the mail and get a mailbox and get his mail. And he said, on the box, you'll see K, E, N, and he spelled it all out. And I said, well, how do you spell Roly? He said, I can't spell Roly, but that ain't my name. <laughs> he was a kind and gentle old soul. Sometimes when he sat on the stool to milk the cows, he fell asleep with his head resting on the cow. Well, nobody saw what happened. But uh, we thought maybe Roly fell asleep while he was milking. And that particular cow did not like Roly's head resting on her. Nobody saw what happened. But that cow kicked Roly really hard. Uncle Ed found him laying out, stretched out on the floor. He thought he was dead. Out cold, no responses. He finally did revive, but he'd been kicked so hard that he was incoherent for quite a while. That was the worst kick we ever saw. Remember, Uncle Ed had a nervous cow. He used to jump all over when he milked her, and she tried to kick him every day. He always avoided the kick. But he named the cow Jitterbug, because she just wouldn't sit still. Yes, and I got my turn, too. We bought four Jersey cows once, and Uncle Ad warned me, so you got to watch those jerseys. They're nasty. I came to the first one, sat down, put the machine on her, and I reached my head around to check on the other side, and she pulled her leg up fast. I got it with a knee right between the eyes. That was the first time I ever actually saw stars. <laughs> Little bursts of light going off in my head. It didn't knock me over, but it sure did hurt, I'll tell you. And it was my turn being kicked by a cow. It was simply that the cow didn't like what you were doing, and to express their disapproval, uh, they let the leg fly. I say, sit still and be milk. Cow says, no, I don't want to do that today. And so off you go. <laughs> In our text today, there's a kicking cow. And we'll see how hard it kicks. 
when we get there. Last week, we read about a young man, a brilliant young man named Stephen, and we saw that he argued the case for Jesus, the gospel case, with great success. He was one of whom it was said they couldn't resist the wisdom by which he spake. And everyone thought he was going to be the great general that would lead the church to victory. But when the Jews questioned him, he preached a great sermon. After that, they dragged him out of Jerusalem and stoned him to death. It was at that vicious and brutal moment that we meet the next link in God's chain. Acts chapter 7, just to see right where we left off. Acts chapter 7, and verse number 58 And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. A young man named Saul was there when they stoned Stephen. He was holding the coats of the people who stoned Stephen. Then over in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, Saul was consenting unto his death. That is... Stephen died, and that young man Saul said, Oh, that's a job well done. I'm glad we got rid of him. The situation in Jerusalem was that thousands of people had joined the new church, and they were concentrated in one place in Jerusalem. They met daily for services in the temple in a place called Solomon's Porch. So when the Jewish leaders decide to put an end to this new Jesus movement thing, everybody was right there. It was easy to attack the new church. So we see who became the leader of the assault on the church in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women and committed them prison. This young Saul, who was happy when Stephen died, became obsessed with destroying the Jesus of Nazareth movement. He went into people's houses, dragged people off to prison, and in normal cases of justice back in those days, men would be arrested, but this Saul is more than happy to arrest the women too and throw them in jail. So the Christians scattered, and they left Jerusalem in droves and went away from Jerusalem to escape persecution. I suppose the Jewish leaders are happy to get their temple back, and they would have left it alone and not pursued the fleeing Christians as long as they're not here, but not Saul. He was made of tougher stuff. So we come to Acts chapter 9 now. In verse 1, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Saul heard that a large group of Christians, or as he called them, people of this way, uh, had escaped to a city called Damascus. It was an ancient city 145 miles north from Jerusalem. 
in a different country, even across the country line who was in Syria. It's interesting to note that Saul called these Christians people of this way. That is, they had a different way of doing things and a different way of looking at things. Saul's way of doing things was based on the Old Testament point of view. You bring your sacrifice to the temple and sacrifice to God. Follow the ancient ways given to the Jews by Moses. He was a Pharisee. One of a group of people who believed in traditions. We will do it the good old way. So when Jesus came along, that's a new way. And Paul accepted what the Jewish leaders said, that this Jesus of Nazareth can't possibly be Messiah. He's from Galilee. He's uneducated. He's not approved by us. Jesus can't possibly be the Messiah. Saul was extremely well educated in the best school in Jerusalem. And that education made him an expert in the Old Testament. I'm sure he could quote Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus by heart. Think about that. He rose to the top of his class, and he was determined to defend the old ways that Moses had handed down. So it says he wrecked havoc with the church. And now he goes to the high priest. He gets arrest warrants for the Christians who fled to Damascus. And it's breathing out, threatening and slaughter. Wow, I'll get them. I'll get them all. I'll stop this Jesus movement. And if I have to kill them to do it, I will. He's a nasty man. He's a miserable man. Consumed with his mission, he'll do it all by himself if he needs to. So he gathers a few temple police clutching arrest warrants in his hand. He makes the trip, 145-mile trip to Damascus. And there he is on the road to Damascus, and God looked down from heaven and said, I'll take him. (laughs) I choose him. That's the man I want. I'd have never picked him. Neither will you. A bad-tempered, nasty, cruel, vicious man. No way. When I read about him, I don't like him. He's a small, bow-legged man. He didn't look like much. Just the kind of man you would label obsessive, consumed with hatred. I don't like him or his kind. But God has a different opinion. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He's come now about five days' journey. He's just outside of Damascus. You can see the city off in the distance. And he's just as miserable as the day he left Jerusalem. Verse 3, and he journeyed, came near Damascus, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. When Jesus was born, do you remember that the shepherds in Bethlehem saw a great light? But that Christmas light appeared in the middle of the night. 
This light that's shining down on Saul appears right in the middle of the daytime in bright sunlight. So imagine how bright this light was to outshine the sun. Now my friends, what's about to happen next is the most important thing that happens in any person's life. It's greater than marriage. It's greater than the birth of a child. It's greater than the death of a spouse. There's far more impact than education. Way more influential than money. It is the singular most important event that can happen to any human. It is an act of God. Therefore, it is mysterious and difficult to define. A wise man staggers at it, doesn't know what to do, but a child can do it with ease. It goes by many names as people try to explain it. Jesus said it was to be born again. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A word often used to describe it is conversion. The dictionary says to convert is to change, to transform. Jesus used the wind to describe it. He says you can't tell where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going, you can't see it, but you know it's real. So let's watch and learn as Saul is converted, transformed on the road to Damascus. Let's see exactly what happens as Saul looks up into that brilliant light that's shining down all around him. Verse number 4. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Try to imagine with me, if you can, what did that voice sound like? Was it loud like thunder? Was it stern and harsh? The Bible says that sometimes the voice of God is like the sound of many waters. If you've been on the Maid of the Mist, and heard the thundering waters of mighty Niagara, you know you can't outshout it. I tried. <laughs> but what did this voice sound like? Was it loud and demanding? Saul, why do you persecute me? No, I think Saul would have guessed that that was God. But there's two clues given to us. First clue is the name Saul is repeated twice. Like a plea. Not Saul, but Saul. Oh, Saul. Why? Why do you persecute me? And because the voice was not threatening or demanding, but rather like somebody pleading, 
Paul is unable to connect the pleading tones in the voice with his own concept of God. And so he asks the question, who, who are you? It wasn't a deafening voice that Moses heard on Mount Sinai. It wasn't the voice that Isaiah heard when it moved the doorpost of heaven. It was a gentle pleading voice saying, Saul, oh Saul. It's a voice that hurt, expressing pain. Why, Saul? Why? Why are you persecuting me? And he couldn't identify the tone of voice. and He couldn't imagine who it could be. Let me ask you, have you ever heard someone ask you, why? Why did you hurt me? Why did you treat me like that? Now Saul can't figure out who's asking him such a question. And so he replies, who? Who are you? And he gets the answer. Verse 5, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who thou persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Jesus. That's who's talking to you, Saul. Jesus, who you persecute. So the first thing about Saul's conversion is the complete surprise. You see, my friends, Jesus loves Saul. And it's the voice of love that asks, why do you hurt me? I don't love this Saul. <laughs> He's mean and nasty and cruel and miserable person. And you don't love the man who wrecks havoc in the church. But much to Saul's surprise, Jesus loves him. My friends, sometimes I look in the mirror and I see myself in her. And I say, why does Jesus love you? Really? Sometimes I can't wrap my mind around it that Jesus should love me. But the beginning of conversion is to grasp in your mind, Jesus loved me enough to suffer on a cruel cross, take my sins on his shoulder, and die in my place. That's the beginning of conversion. Jesus loves me, we sing. This I know. Saul is stunned. First, that it's Jesus talking to him. And he's pleading with Saul, Saul, why Saul? Who are you? I'm Jesus. That's the beginning of salvation and the beginning of conversion. Jesus loves me. Now, the next step, verse 5. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. There's the kicking cow. Jesus refers to what is called an ox goad. An ox goad, that's a long stick with a sharp point on the end of it. That's what is called an ox goad. And when you're plowing with oxen or using oxen to pull a load, when you want them to go, you poke them with that long stick. And if they are uncooperative, like the one cow that kicked me and Roly, they kick back at the ox goal and say, no, I don't want to do that. 
But notice carefully what Jesus says to Saul. It's hard for you to kick against the ox goad. When I poke you, (laughs) I tell you to go in this direction. Saul, you find it hard to disobey. So you see, my friends, Saul got poked a couple times by Jesus. With that stick, Jesus was telling Saul, go this way. And Saul even calls Christianity the people who go this way. So when did Jesus poke Saul with a stick? Well, most certainly Saul got poked when he heard Stephen's sermon. It was a perfectly laid out explanation of God's promises to the Jewish people taken from the Old Testament. And Saul is an expert on the Old Testament. After all, remember what was said about Stephen when he preached, they couldn't resist the wisdom by which he spake. And Saul was holding those coats when Stephen said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There's another sharp stick. Jesus poked at Saul. Now in Acts chapter 5, when the Jewish leaders arrested the disciples and trying to shut them up, they got a very wise answer. I'm looking at Acts chapter 5 and verse number 34. There stood up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And he said unto them, You men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. What you tend to do is touching these men. And down to verse 38. Now I say to you, refrain from these men. Let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it'll come to naught. But if it be of God, then you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found to fight against God. The man who gave that wise advice was Saul's teacher. Saul graduated from Gamaliel's school. So it was Saul who got two or three poked with a sharp stick. Stephen's logical sermon was a poke with a stick. Gamaliel's wise advice. And Stephen said, I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And Saul is now looking up through a bright light all the way up into heaven. And he's talking to Jesus. Now Saul is in possession of one of the great minds of all times. He makes Einstein look like an idiot. Extremely brilliant. With powers of deduction. So what do you think he's thinking? He's looking up into this intense light. Opens all the way up into heaven. And the person speaking to me has identified himself as Jesus. 
So therefore, there is a logical conclusion. Stephen's sermon was right. We did crucify the Son of God. And Stephen's vision was right. Jesus is standing on the right hand of God. I can see him up there. And Gamaliel was also right. I have been fighting against God. Verse 6. And he trembling and astonished. You bet he's trembling. He's scared to death. Astonished. I can't believe how I could ever be so wrong. I thought I was helping God by trying to preserve the old ways. But suddenly I realized, here I am, persecuting the church. I'm fighting against God. My friends, first realize Jesus loved you enough to die for you. Jesus pleased with you. Don't struggle against me. And then the second step, we realize we've been struggling against God. We've been kicking against the pointed stick, saying, no, no, Lord, I don't want to go that way. You don't know how many people, my friends, have told me I drove by this church four times before I finally pulled in. I was afraid to go in the building and sat in the parking lot. You can't imagine how many people have said that. But finally, I couldn't resist it anymore. It's God poking you with a stick. You can kick back and say, no, I can't go that way. Or someone invited you to church and you said, well, some other time. Or you heard a sermon on the TV or the radio. and You kept thinking about it. God's poking you with that sharp stick and you struggle against it, kicking like a cow. Suddenly you see the way to go. And now what? Verse 6, and the Lord, he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said, Arise, go to the city, and I will show thee what thou must do. At that point, at that exact moment, Saul was converted. He was transformed immediately changed. Now what's the proof of that? Paul said to Jesus, what do you want me to do? My friends, there it is. Transformation. Jesus, tell me what you want me to do. That is proof of conversion. Saul was saved, born again. That's why I said it's so simple. A child can do it. Children will willingly ask God, what do you want me to do? It's only us adults that drag our feet and kick like cows. So what is conversion? A full realization that Jesus loves you. He's calling out to you. Maybe not with a beam of light from heaven. Maybe with a still small voice. He's poking you and prodding you, urging you to respond to him. Saying, don't kick like an old cow. Go this way. And when you say, I'll go, what do you want me to do? Instead of kicking like a cow, cooperate. And you will be changed. You see, my friends, Saul's conversion was probably the most famous conversion of all times. 
A shining example of a man who changed completely in a moment of time, in the twinkling of an eye, transformation from fighting against Jesus to full cooperation, just like that. It may be the most famous conversion, but it is not the most important one. Yours is the most important one to you. And mine is the most important one to me. So if Jesus is poking you, don't kick against the sick. Just say yes to Jesus. He loves you with all of his heart. May God bless you as you open your heart and ask him. What do you want me to do? Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Saul's conversion. And most of all, we thank you for our own. That we can change, turn our lives over to you is what we want to do. So as we see it done here, the way it was done, we pray that we'll be wise to respond to not to go too far, but to remember. Jesus calls us to go this way. And the best thing for us is to do what he says. Bless us, Lord, as we go through these thoughts in our mind. Help us to keep those things close and to remember. And when he's asking us and prodding us, it's a wonderful time to come. Bless us, Lord. As we bow our hearts to you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. In closing, like you turn in your hymn books, number 322, standing as we sing hymn number 322, standing as we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. 332, 332. 332, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Page 332. Oh, so.
Thank you for the life that we have here in your name. 